The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Father, just thank you tonight so much, God, for so many blessings, Lord. We just pray as we take 20 minutes and, uh, and look at your word that we would behold glory, that our hearts would be filled, that our minds would be cultivated to give you praise, Lord. We pray that you would make us thankful tonight, Lord. We pray that we would be made whole tonight. And I just ask your Holy Spirit to be here in the hearts and minds of every person, every kid, every adult, reminding us, Lord, of your glory. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I can almost hear in my head the conversation that the disciples probably would have been having as they're on the road to Jerusalem in our story. Jesus with his disciples for two years now, has been walking all throughout the Galilee, all throughout different parts of Israel, doing ministry, healing people, healing withered hands, rising people from the dead, doing all of these things. And the disciples have been faithful just to follow him wherever he wanted to go. And I can imagine in my mind the conversation they'd be having when Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem, which is the capital, the heart of Israel, and we're going to go there completely out of the way. Okay, if I said, hey, let's go to England, let's go through Mexico, you'd be a little confused, right? Why are we going through Samaria, Jesus? Why don't we go direct? Why don't we go straight to Jerusalem? Why are we taking time to go out of our way to, to, to take the long road to Samaria? And as they're having this conversation, I can imagine Jesus just sort of chuckling like, you don't even know what I'm going to do there. Just wait and see what's going to happen. Now, simultaneously, there's another conversation going on. In a, in a little village, we don't know the name of it, but in a little village on the border of Samaria and Israel, 10 men are standing in a circle having a conversation. There's a lot of energy in the conversation. As, as you zoom the camera more closely into these 10 men, you realize and you learn that these aren't normal men. Not only are these Samaritans, but there's something different about them. They're wearing cloaks, their heads are covered, long hair is coming out of their cloaks. As you get a little closer, you begin to smell something that doesn't quite seem natural. Um, they smell horrible. You get closer and you begin to look at their skin and you see that they have boils and scars and that their skin is pocked and wrecked and broken. Some of them are missing legs, some of them are missing arms, some of them can't walk. These men are a wretch, literally, to look at. Exiled. They're outside of town, not because they want to be, but because they have to be. Because culturally, they're not allowed to be in town. They're forced to live outside of the village. Forced to be separated from their wives, their kids, their families. Forced to leave their jobs. Forced to beg for a living, to eat the scraps that are thrown out of town. These men are, are, are huddled in a circle talking about something exciting. And that is that this rabbi from the Galilee, this carpenter is going to pass through their village. Now they've heard about this guy, right? They've heard about this carpenter that walks around with his disciples and does phenomenal things, things that no one has ever seen done before. They've heard he's raised the dead. They've heard he's cleansed lepers like them, people with diseases like they have. They're overwhelmed with joy because literally they're hopeless. They have no hope. Everything that they loved in life is taken from them. They are miserable in every sense of the way, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationship-wise. They are completely miserable. Their lives have been taken from them. And then they hear the news that this rabbi is coming to their town. So without even a thought, they say, we're going. 
We're going. We're going to find this rabbi and see and ask and plead and beg for him to heal us, to take away our pain, to take away our suffering, to relieve us from this pain, this prison that we've lived in for so many years. So you can imagine the scene, right? Jesus and his disciples come walking into the border of Samaria, and as they come into the village, they're greeted not by the townsfolk, but by these ten men, these wretched men that would be sickening even to look at. They don't approach Jesus. They don't come close because legally they can't. They're not supposed to. They have to keep distance because they might infect someone. So from a distance, one of the lepers yells out to Jesus and he says, Master, have mercy. Heal us, please. Relieve this bondage. Relieve this pain that we've struggled with for years. Heal us if you will, if you can. And Jesus, just like he does so many times, has such compassion and immediately, without even a second thought, utters these words. He says, go, reveal yourself to the priests. Okay, now you had to do that. If you were, if you were to be healed, you had to go to the priests. They had to confirm it. Otherwise, how do they know if it's real? So Jesus basically says, go validate your healing. Now, he doesn't heal them there. So they say, okay, there's hope. They begin to walk towards the priest. Now, as they begin to walk towards the priest to validate the healing, one of the men happens to glance down at his left hand. And where he normally would have seen red, porous, broken skin with, with boils and, and pain and hurt, he, he looks and he sees something different. He sees the skin that he once remembered from a younger time in his life. He realizes that his hand is healed, and he looks up his arm and, and past his wrist, and he begins to feel his face, and he realizes his heart begins to pound. He realizes that he's healed. This disease is gone. The other men begin to notice as well that Jesus has healed them. And so they're not just walking to the priests anymore, right? They're sprinting because the faster that they can get to the priest, the faster they can confirm their healing and the faster they can get back to life. The faster they can go kiss their kids' cheeks and run their hands through the hair of their wife and work a job and actually provide and not have to beg and live outside of the city exile. The quicker they can get to the priest, the quicker they get their lives back, the quicker they validate the healing and they begin to run. And as they're running to the priests, one man stops and he realizes something. He realizes that he's running in the wrong direction. He realizes that that man just spoke and my body was healed systemically. That man just spoke and creation obeyed him. So while the other nine are running off to validate their healing, this man stops and runs the opposite direction and falls at the feet of a man that literally minutes ago it would have been illegal to talk to or be close to because of his disease. Falls at the feet of him and he says, praise be to God. And he thanks God. And he's filled with thankfulness because this man, this rabbi, this Jesus has healed him. And Jesus says an interesting thing. He says, where are the nine? Where are the other nine? He exemplifies the faith of this man and he says, rise, go your way for your faith, as the King James says, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Listen to me. Many are healed. If you remember one thing, 
Remember this. I'm going to say it over and over. Many are healed, but few are made whole. Many are healed, but few are made whole. We'll look into that a little bit more in a minute. But parenthetically, I remember being a kid, four or five years old. We lived uh, in the, on the coast in Lincoln City, and I just remember uh, this one day, we, we took a day, we went to Portland, Oregon. And uh, I think I thought Portland was a store at that time because I was like four, you know. I thought Salem was a grocery store. I don't know. Uh, but we went to Portland, and, and we, were, we were middle class to poor family. We didn't do a ton of things like go to the movies and eat out. We didn't do a lot of those things. So when we did, it was really awesome. It was a big deal. And so I just remember as a kid, this one day we went to Portland, and we spent the whole day doing fun things. It was like the ultimate day as a kid. First, we went to Almsy, and we got to go into a submarine and got to play with all these cool games. And, and then we went to two different movies in a row. I remember the movies. It was Lion King, and then it was Santa Claus. They came out on the same year. Um, back to back. Never done anything like that as a kid. And then, and then we went out to eat, and then we went to this race car track, and we watched, we watched some race cars and things like that. It was the most phenomenal day. It was so fun. And then I remember driving home, even as a five-year-old kid, four-year-old kid, I can't remember. I remember sitting in the car driving home, and rather than rather than sitting there thinking, man, that was amazing. That was so fun. I'm so thankful. I remember sitting there thinking, well, I want to do more. That wasn't enough. And so I remember asking my dad, dad, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do when we get home? And he's like, we're going to go to bed. We just did everything in one day. What do you mean? What are we going to do? And I remember this feeling of discontentment came over me as a four-year-old kid. I wanted more. That wasn't enough. I wanted to do more things. I wasn't thankful. I was discontent like a disease. Now listen, we have a disease as people, not just Westerners, especially Westerners. We have a disease. It's called discontentment. And it spreads through the West just like Ebola spread through Africa because it's the perfect place for it to grow. Discontentment in the West, it's the perfect place for it to grow. It's a disease. And our country, our culture knows this, right? They know that we're discontent. They know that we have the sickness of discontentment where we just can't seem to get enough of anything. That's why they sell us things that way. I used to work in retail. All you got to do to convince someone to buy something is tell them they can't live without it. And we all believe it because we think we're unhappy unless we get it. Now, I want to play a game with you guys, okay? Um, you're going to have to just be brave and yell, okay? This is, this is going to be fun. This is how it works. I'm going to say a slogan of a company, and then you got to see if you can guess what it is. Okay, we'll start with a really easy one. Here's the first one. Have it your way. Burger King. Good job. Yeah, no, 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 no. Have it your way. Burger King. Okay, I want you to notice too, all these have something in common. And what it is, is that they're telling you that you need more. Okay, they're telling you that your life would be better if you X, Y, and Z. Here's, here's another one. This is an easy one. Uh, I'm loving it. McDonald's. The right side got that one. Good job. Okay, what about this one? This is a little bit harder. The ultimate driving machine. BMW, right? If you drive that car, it's the ultimate. All the older people got that one. Um, sorry, Jeff. <laughs> I, I, I just heard your voice. Um, <laughs> think different. Anybody know what that one is? Apple, that's right. In other words, like you're cool if you have Apple, you're different, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this one's good. The best a man can get. Gillette, yeah, nice job. Okay, nice job. This one's even worse. Because I'm worth it. L'Oreal, nice job. You guys are good, man. You are Americans. Whew. There's one thing our church knows. It's our commercials. Here's a good one. On the corner of happy and healthy. 
Walgreens. So if you shop there, you're happy and healthy, right? Because we're not now. Okay. Delighting you always. Anyone? Did I stump you? Delighting you always? Canon. In other words, if you have a camera, you're delighted. Always. I didn't even know. I need to go get, go get a camera. Uh, this one the kids will know. Melts in your mouth, not in your hand. M&M's. Okay, just a couple more. Here, this one's the best one ever. It's all about you. That's Korean Airlines. It's all about you. And then one last one for, sec for successful living. That's diesel jeans. So if you want to have successful living, get some $300 jeans. Um, our culture gets it. They know that we have a disease called discontentment, that we never can seem to get enough. Enough is never enough. Even in the garden, we see this. God plants Adam and Eve in the perfect place. He plants them in paradise, right? With all of these trees that they can eat from, and yet there's the one tree that they can't. So rather than being thankful for all the trees, they eat from the one that they can't because they're discontent. And what does Satan even say to them? He says, God's holding out on you. There's, some, there's something there that he doesn't want you to have. And if you eat that fruit, he knows you'll have it. So really, you're dis, you should be discontent with what he's given you. You should eat the fruit. You should get more. Now, in our story, in Luke chapter 17, I want, I want to talk to you a little bit more about this disease, okay? If you guys remember the 10 men right outside of Samaria, these 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17 is where we'll be, by the way, if you want to open up your Bibles. <coughs> This disease called leprosy, I want to introduce you a little bit to this. What this disease basically is, leprosy, is it takes, you begin, to, you begin to develop boils and sores and things on your skin, and over time you begin to lose feeling in your skin, okay? So what that means is, what, re, what that results in is that you don't know when you're hurting yourself anymore. So not only do you look scary and terrifying because your skin is all disfigured and, and messed up, but you begin to, to rub your skin off of your body. I know that's graphic, but this is the reality of these people's life, okay? Not only that, but you could get your arm, your leg caught in something, have to get it amputated, and not even know that you got it caught. You would break bones in your body, begin to lose feeling, basically, um, in your body. That's how that disease works. Now, as a result of that, as I alluded to in the earlier story, as a result of that, you were exiled, you were not allowed to be with your family anymore because you could give it to them. So you had to live outside of the village. So you lived a life of loneliness. Because your skin hurt, you would begin to, to stop bathing, which means that you didn't smell very good, okay? Your life was lonely. You'd be separated from your kids. You couldn't work a job. You'd live off the scraps from the table, as I said earlier. Uh, it was a, a wretched life. Not only that, people thought of you as sinful, like, that you brought that on yourself because of your sin, right? Leviticus 13, we have a slide for this. Leviticus 13, this is what the Old Testament says about lepers. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean. Unclean. So you just go into a city, you don't just sneak in. You don't want anyone to look at you, it's embarrassing, right? You don't sneak in, you yell out, unclean! Unclean, so everyone can make their way away from you. No one wants to be close to you. No one wants to see you, okay? He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, having said that, I want you to put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of these lepers. I, I have a story that I gotta tell uh, that, that 
really put in perspective for me what it would be like to be a leper. When I was a kid, I went to camp in fourth grade, okay? I was a shy kid. I didn't have a lot of friends, um, just the way it was for me. And, and it was hard even to get enough courage to go to camp. But I did. I went. And I spent a week there, and I made some friends. And it was great. We had, friend, you know, we had a good time. Was, and the snack bar was doing half-price sale at the end, okay? Now, my mom fed me organic food as a kid, so I, I didn't get, you know, Mountain Dew. I didn't get candy. So I'm like, this, I'm going to dump my whole 20 bucks on this. I mean, we bought, me and my friends bought everything. Mountain Dew Airheads, uh, Jolly Ranchers, Butterfinger Cups. I mean, just Butterfinger Cups. Butterfingers and Reese's Cups. Um, heresy, sorry. I was too confused. We bought all of this candy, right? And we get on the bus, and my backpack stuffed full of candy. We get on the bus. Now, picture this bus with me, okay? First of all, it's like 105 degrees, okay? It's in California, like 105 degrees. Um, and, and we get on the bus. The, the seats aren't facing forward. They're facing sideways. So you're not looking forward. And then I'm a cool kid now. I got my friends, you know? So I get in the back of the bus with all of my candy and all my soda, and, and I just start just plowing it, you know? Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew again, airhead, airhead again, Butterfinger. Okay, this is great. We're having a good time. And some, at some point in like the three-hour bus ride, I start to feel something going a little uh, not right in my belly, right? Um, and, and here's the thought process. You guys ever done this before if you, if you struggle with car sickness? I, I don't want to have to pull the bus over. That's so embarrassing. If I have to get up and ask the bus driver to pull over and go and, and throw up outside of the bus, it's going to be so embarrassing. So I'm just going to tough it out. I can make it. And so everything in your head, right, is like, don't get sick, don't get sick, don't get sick, don't get sick, don't get sick. And the more you do that, the sicker you get. So like 40 minutes goes by, and I'm like, I tug on the sleeve of my counselor. I'm like, Greg, I finally couldn't fight it anymore. I was like, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> and he goes, go to the front of the bus. And so I'm like, okay. And I stand up, and I start to go what seemed like slow motion, to the front of the bus, but as I'm going to the front of the bus, something starts spewing out of my mouth from the back of the bus all the way to the front of the bus, leaving a trail of desolation from the back to the front. Not to mention all over my clothes, all over my shoes, all over my face, all over the place. By the time the bus pulled over and I got off, I was done. <laughs> now, funny story, the, 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 the bus driver of that bus is the pastor of a church in my area. I think he still hates me to this day. Whenever I see him, I swear he hates me. He, uh, I don't know, just a theory. Because he had to clean it up, but he was on his hands and knees cleaning it. And so I'm sitting, I'm this, this shy little fourth grade kid, and I'm sitting in the front with, with vomit all over myself, and all the kids are looking at me with their shirts over their noses, pointing at me, and, and, and just making disgusted faces, and I'm demolished. I'm just crushed. And I just sit in the front of the bus the whole time with everyone looking at me like they hated me. Uh, and I remember years later, I even, I met this one kid and, and we talked about how we went to the camp and, and he was like, are you the kid that threw up on the bus? And I was like, yeah, that was me. Sorry. It was horrible. I'll get counseling for it later. But the feeling, the, seriously, the feeling of sitting there with everyone looking at me like I was absolutely the scum of the earth has always resonated with me when I think about leprosy. Because it's exactly what it would have been like for them. You walk into town and everyone parts. No one wants to be near you. No one wants to be around you. Now, keeping that in mind, let's read this together. Luke, there goes my phone. It's a sign. Okay, um, Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It says this, on the way to Jerusalem, it should be on the screen. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. 
And he entered a village, and he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. <laughs> when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to them, or to the priests, pardon me. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So it's the story that I told in the beginning, right? Now, when you first read that story, your, your attention is immediately drawn to the one person, right? The one person that turned around. But what's actually staggering in this story to think about is the fact that nine of them, and Jesus even points this out, he's stunned that nine of these lepers, <coughs> nine of these lepers didn't turn around. Now what that means is that statistically you could say that 90% of people, 90% of people struggle with being discontent and thanking God. That 90% of people live their lives with blessing and, and healing and all of these kinds of things that God does for them, and yet they're never made whole. Let me explain a little bit more. Let's put Romans chapter 1 verse 18 up on the screen. Read this with me. For th This is basically what Paul's doing. He's giving an indictment against mankind and his sin in Romans chapter 1. And as he does that, he says this, <laughs> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Do we have the next slide? Um, I'll read it on here. Uh, because God has shown it to them so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. For they became futile in their speculations. What Paul is saying here is that mankind is so blessed. We are blessed and blessed and blessed with common grace. We are blessed to have human bodies that we exist in. We're blessed to have the food that we eat. We're blessed to have the kids on our laps right now, the wives next to us, the friends around us, the, t the turkey dinner on, on the table tomorrow. We're blessed and we are blessed and we are blessed, especially as Christians. We're exceedingly blessed. We've been saved. We've been atoned for. But even though we're blessed, so many of us are not made whole. The staggering thing about this story is that nine of these men received a blessing but did not receive wholeness. Now, if you guys have paper, if you have a cell phone, I want you to write this down. If, if you don't have paper, text it to yourself. Post it to your Instagram. Whatever it is, write this down. This is huge. I want you to think about this tomorrow when you're sitting around your table and your, your cousin, whatever, says something rude. Uh, think about this and think about this and think about this. Many are healed, but few are made whole. Many are healed, but few are made whole. In our story, 90% of the lepers were healed, but yet 10% were actually made whole. The thing about what Paul says in Romans that struck me is that he said, this, he says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. 
That means that we as Christians can know God, can be healed, can be blessed beyond belief, which we are, and yet still not be thankful, and therefore still not be whole. I want you to think about this story, okay? I said, I said in my narrative in the beginning that they began to walk away towards the priests, and then when they realized that they were healed, I, I pictured them at least running in excitement and joy because as I painted this picture of like, their life was horrible. Their life was nothing but pain and sickness and, 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 and being alone in the wilderness day after day after day. Their life was horrible. And then Jesus comes along and gives them a gift. He gives them healing. He says, take physical healing. Now, they're so overjoyed that they run. In my mind, they run to validate. They don't have time even to thank Jesus. They're so excited about the blessing, they're so excited about the gift, that they totally miss the blesser. They're so excited about the healing that they totally miss the healer. As Romans says, they were so excited about the creation that they totally missed the creator. This is our disease. This is what causes discontentment. Listen to me. Listen. It's not that we ask for too much as Christians. It's actually that we ask for too little. When you think about that, it's not that we ask for too much. It's that we ask. You see, the lepers settled. They settled. Jesus gave them physical healing and they took it, but that's all that they took. They settled for the healing and not the healer. They settled for the creation and not the creator. They settled for the blessing and not the one that the blessing came from. Only one man turned around and said, wow, I'm healed. I want the source of that healing. I don't just want the healing. I want the source of it. I want the place that it came from. So nine ran that way, and one ran the opposite way. One ran to the source of the healing. Guys, we were designed to be discontent. Why was I discontent as a four-year-old four kid? Why am I so often living my life for tomorrow? Because I was designed for God. I was not designed for health. I was not designed for momentary joy. I was not designed to, to, to go on Black Friday and buy things. Those are all blessings. Those are all great. I was designed for something bigger. So those things let me down. Now discontentment, the root of it, is asking not for too much, but for too little. If we settle for things, if we settle for joy, if we settle for just a happy life, then we lose the greater joy, and that is Jesus. One man out of ten realized there was something better than just the healing that he absorbed, and just the healing that he received. Listen to what Augustine said, or Augustine. Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they rest in me. My plea for you guys tonight, my plea for you guys is to stop settling. Our problem as Americans is not that we want more, it's that we don't want enough. Not things. We don't want our creator. 
don't want the source of life. We're settling for things instead of the source of the things. We're settling for the momentary joy instead of the eternal joy. And so my plea for you guys tonight <laughs> is to turn around and to run the opposite way. Because 90, if 90% 90 of people receive a blessing from God and don't turn around, then that's the wide path. And the narrow path is to be made whole. What Jesus is saying here when he explains that this man's faith is made whole is not that, oh, you, this man asked to be healed, so therefore he had faith. No, they all asked to be healed, right? All 10 of them said, Master, please have mercy on us, heal us. But only one of them was made whole by their faith. What that tells me is that there's a difference between being healed and being made whole. Do you remember what I said? Many are healed, but few are made whole. Many as Christians, as people, as Americans are healed by God, blessed by God, taken care of by God, provided for by God, but so few of us are made whole by God because we refuse to accept and embrace the source. So, can we turn around? Now let me just say this in, in closing. I don't want to just end there with this nebulous thought. I want to give you some practical dimensions to how to turn around physically and, and say, I want to be made whole. I don't want to just be healed, Jesus. I want to be made whole. So I want to give you three dimensions of how to be made whole. Number one. Number one is this. Understand what is yours. Understand what is yours. And what I really mean by that facetiously is that nothing is yours. Nothing is yours. Nothing belongs to us. My kids do not belong to me. My wife does not belong to me. My body, my job, my house, my money does not belong to me. And we are sick with discontentment because we think that the things that we have are ours and they're not ours. They're God's. Why would I be thankful for something that I've earned? Why would I be thankful for something if it's something that I've earned? Why would I be thankful for the dinner on my table if I'm the one that went out and worked for it? But if you realize that everything is God's, thankfulness naturally comes. When you think everything is yours, entitlement comes. That basically means that you think that something is yours, so you should have it. I'm entitled to that. You know how you know when you're entitled to something? When you lose it. When you lose it. Your health goes bad and you get mad at God because you felt that it was your health. You lose your money in the stock market or your house takes, takes a dive and is not worth anything anymore and you get mad and feel jilted because you assumed it was your house in the first place. But it's not. If everything is God's, then everything is grace. If everything is God's, then everything is a blessing. Therefore, everything is something I'm thankful for. Does that make sense? That means that faith as Christians is not giving something to God. It's simply saying thanks. Do you realize that's the only thing we can do as Christians for God? We can't give him anything. It's like your kids when you give them $5 and say, go get a Christmas present for me. They bought it, but it's your money. We can't give God anything. We can't give him righteousness. We can't do anything right. 
Even lifting our hands in praise, he made our hands, he made the blood that allowed our hands to raise up above our heads and give him praise. He made the vocal cords that give praise and sing the words of his glory out. Nothing is ours to give. We can't give God anything because it's all been given to us except for thanks and gratitude. When we realize that everything is God's, we are grateful. Number two, understand what you deserve. And again, I, I, I facetiously mean, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. But yet I live my life as though I do. I live my life as though the things that I have, I deserve, and I worked for them, and I should have them. My daughter is two. We drove through human being for the first time a while back. She didn't even know what a human being was, right? No idea. My wife graciously ordered her a kid's temp hot chocolate with whipped cream on the straw, hands it back to her. She downed the thing in like three seconds. I mean, she, I've never seen a kid drink that fast. It's insane. She loved it, right? And I was like, oh, this is great. I just love spoiling my daughter. It's so fun. And, and then the next time we go to human being, she gets a hot chocolate, right? She better get her hot chocolate because it's her hot chocolate. She deserves it, right? Because she got one last time. And so since she got one last time, she should get one this time. That's entitlement. She deserves it, right? But she doesn't. She doesn't. It's grace. It's like when the first time I got a Christmas bonus when I was like 16, I worked for my dad. My dad just wrote me this check for 500 bucks on Christmas. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, it's a Christmas bonus. Like, What's that? You're just giving me money? I didn't work for it. <coughs> yeah, it's a Christmas bonus. And then two years later, I'm like, hey, Dad, I worked hard. Where's my Christmas bonus, right? I started to think that I deserved it. I started to think that somehow I, I, I was entitled to it because I worked hard for it. I wasn't thankful for it anymore because I thought I earned it. I thought it was mine. Number three, and this is really where, where sort of the application is going to take, take point. We're almost done here. We're going to get into some worship. Number three is huge. Complete your delight through expression. Complete your delight through expression. In the story, when the leper turned around, he didn't just say, hey, thanks, Jesus. Appreciate it. He ran and fell on his face, and it says that he loudly exclaimed, praise be to God. He couldn't control himself. He was so overwhelmed with excitement and joy of what had just taken place that he ran and screamed out and yelled out, thank you, Jesus, for healing me. And his wholeness was completed in his expression, in his proclamation. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. What C.S. Lewis is saying basically there is he's saying, when you go to a restaurant and you order a plate of food and it's fantastic, the enjoyment is not completed in just taking the bite. The enjoyment is completed when you call your friend and say, you have got to try this restaurant, right? That's when the 
joy is completed. When you watch that movie and it's epic and it's amazing, you call up your friend, you put it on social media, this movie was so good, you guys gotta come check it out, right? That's when your joy is completed. It's when you express it. It's when you tell people about it. That's when your joy is made full. And this leper was made whole, not just healed, but made whole when he expressed passionately the thankfulness in his heart for what God had done. So tonight, what we're going to do, everybody got a bag, right, with, with some leaves in there. What we're going to do is, over the next three songs, Mitch is going to come, you guys can come back on up, is going to lead us for a time. And I want to give you guys an opportunity to do number three on that list, to express and to allow your thankfulness to make you whole. Now, lest we be like the nine lepers and just write down something physical that we're thankful for, it doesn't just stop there, right? Not only are we going to write down what we're thankful for. Now, there's small leaves, so it may have to be a word. If you can write small, it can be a sentence, whatever it is. Whatever it is that God is impressing on your heart could be something about him, him could be something about uh, life and the blessings that he's given you. But it's not going to stop there, okay? I want you to take that leaf. After you write it down, I want you to come up to these three trees that we have up here. And I want you to tie it on the tree. And this is just symbolic, okay? It's just symbolic. And what it says is that Jesus, when he was on the tree, made a way for every blessing that we write on these, these little pieces of paper to happen. It says that every spiritual blessing in heavenly places comes through the blood of Christ. When he hung on the, cur- the, on the tree, we were blessed eternally in ways that we don't even get. So we're going to not only ride it, but we're going to hang it on the tree. And then I want to invite you, if you're a believer, I want to invite you to come and feast on the body and the blood of Christ. Take a cup, take a piece of bread, and thank him, and remember him, and praise him, and fall at his feet, and be made whole. Be made whole tonight. Guys, listen. Many, many are healed but few are made whole. Few are made whole. And I'm pleading with you guys tonight. May we be a people that don't settle for the blessing and miss the blesser. May we be a people that don't settle for the creation and miss the creator. Father, I just pray, God, even now as we begin to to ride on these leaves, Lord, that thankfulness and gratefulness and wholeness would begin to overcome Well, that we would look past the things that we're even riding on these leaves and recognize that you are the source of every blessing in every place of our life. God, when we hang these on this tree, I pray that we would remember that Jesus, you purchased every blessing with your blood on the tree. You spared no expense. It's not free. You purchased it, God. I pray as we come to the table, as we take the blood, as we take the bread, that we would remember your body that was broken, your body that absorbed man's worst and God's wrath that was meant for us, that we would remember, God, everything that you've done for us and the fact that we've done nothing for you that wasn't given to us to give. Lord, we have nothing in our hands to give you but thanks. Because nothing is ours to give. Lord, would you impress that on our heart as we worship you tonight. We pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen.